Full Contact Cannabis. Welcome, folks, to another episode of Full Contact Cannabis. And we are fortunate enough to have Dr. Marielle Weintraub. I hope I pronounced that correct. Yep, it was perfect. Do you want to be referred to as Doc or Marielle? Marielle's fine. All right, Doc. (laughs) Here we are. We're doing another thing. I'm with Mark Stepp of Uppercut Media. Of course, I'm Harold Jarbo, a.k.a. the Old Hemp Farmer. And you have stumbled into another Tennessee Homegrown sponsored full contact cannabis. Marielle, could you do me a favor and tell all the wonderful things you've done and and presently what your position is so our folks can catch up on you? Uh, Sure. So, um, and thank you very much for having me here. I really do appreciate it. Um, And I was looking forward to um, this podcast. So um, I am Marielle Weintraub. I am currently the president of the U.S. Hemp Authority. We are a self-regulating organization as well as a certification body designed around hemp, hemp ingredients, and finished products. We were developed because of the very specific things that make hemp risky. And so before that, I actually was at a lab. uh, I worked for a lab group called, at the time, was Covance. It was later bought by Eurofins, but I was one of the people who started the testing program for hemp at uh, one of the largest labs in the country. Um, and I accidentally ended up in the hemp industry and it was probably the greatest thing that ever happened to me, but I was at an event representing this lab and someone came up to me in Boulder and said, would you test CBD? This was in 2016. Um, and just so you know, my PhD is in neuroscience. I look at this person and I said, what's CBD? Um, and that is where it began. And I was immediately fascinated, um, and immediately saw the need for testing and standards uh, in this industry. And now you're the president of the U.S. Hemp Authority. Yes. All right. Could you kind of go into a little bit about, okay, first of all, why do we need it? (laughs) And what's your mission statement? Uh, Absolutely. So the U.S. Hemp Authority um, originally was developed uh, around 2017, 2018. And what we wanted to make sure didn't happen is we didn't want one company having what we call the 60 minutes moment and bringing down the rest of the industry before we really had a chance to shine and before we could show the general public what this plant could do. So we wanted to develop a self-regulating organization. We wanted a certification that had a set of standards that were written for the hemp industry by the hemp industry. Um, And we wanted to make sure that we were putting products out in the market that could be trusted and that regulators would know were quality products and following dietary supplement or food or cosmetic regulations. So how's that been going? It's been great. Um, So we are on um, what we call uh, U.S. Hemp Authority 3.0. So it is our third uh, iteration of standards. Every year, as as you guys know, we learn a lot There are a lot of changes. We get a lot of state changes, a lot of federal changes. And so we want to make sure that we're growing our standards uh, alongside the hemp industry. It's also why we keep expanding the technical committee. We have a group of volunteers who help support and write these changes before we then open up any of these changes to the public for public comment period. I started in this industry in 2014. Oh, wow. Yeah, well, 
chasing a dream. Uh, <laughs> but one of the things I found out is that, to me, my observation was that a bunch of the, and I'll name names, HIA is the one that I perplexed me totally about how their attitude that was towards cannabis and how they presented it to both state and federal government was, and to this day, it's still one of my pet peeves. I originally came from recreational cannabis. When they legalized in Tennessee, I went into that. And one of the, the things I earned was this insatiable need for company or individuals representing hemp to say how evil high THC cannabis was. And that's why I still don't, and I still think it's going on now. So you won't hear that from the Hemp Authority. We don't believe that high THC cannabis is evil. We don't think we should be working against anyone in the high THC or adult use cannabis space. We actually need to work together. Um, and that's why the Hemp Authority certification was born specifically for hemp ingredients. We wanted to make sure that producers and brand owners were following regulations that FDA would eventually hold over us as we would be considered dietary supplements, food, or cosmetics, right? If we're talking about the ingestible or usable form. We don't certify high THC products, but we aren't anti-high THC products, if that makes sense. Well, but that's where I'm talking about. How do you differentiate it? So we differentiate using the 0.3% um, of THC. But that's the part that drives us people who've been doing this for years because we know that is an arbitrary standard that has yeah, nothing yeah. to do with the actual taxonomy of the of the plant. Right. So why are we being held to something that doesn't exist in nature? So we are following that specific regulation because that is the regulation that is in the Farm Bill. We want FDA to agree to make cannabinoids legal dietary ingredients. In order for that to happen, they have to have a way of viewing our products as quality, as safe. Um, and because that is where the federal line was drawn, arbitrary or not, because we are fighting to make sure that regulators and the federal government and FDA realizes that our products in the hemp industry are quality and safe, that's the line we have to follow. This is what drives us nuts out here, right? is because we're fighting for something that's basically repressing ourselves. So it's also why recently, um, so I think it's the U.S. Hemp Roundtable, has started to fight that the plant, when grown, should be allowed to be closer to 1%. But we don't fade for the farmers, right? So that there's no reason for you guys to be burning your farms at, let's say, 0.4%. Okay. But when it comes to finished products, what the FDA is going to follow is what is known levels that the, right? It's, a, it's arbitrary, but it's the level that they know. And so in the finished products, they want to make sure that the, that the, that the product you're, you're ingesting at the serving size you're ingesting it is not going to cause any form of what's called intoxication. The, our part, and like I said, this is a representation of, 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 I know a lot of voices. The FDA hates us. It doesn't want to do any of this. So why do we keep waiting for the FDA to wake up one morning and say, you know what? CBD ought to be a, a, a supplement for food and all this. 
because they don't, they hate it. And, and that's what I'm saying is, and this is the part that we don't know. The FDA doesn't have anything to do with recreational edibles. That is true, but you also can't sell a recreational edibles across state lines. But, but what I'm saying is, why do we have these, why are we worried about the FDA when the FDA, when it comes down to how cannabis actually is, is a toothless tiger? Because based on the only reason we're allowed to have hemp and allow it, allow it to cross state lines, so it's not just per state sold, we don't need licenses per state to, let's say, sell our finished products at CVS, right? The only reason we're allowed to do that is because of the Farm Bill. But the Farm Bill only protected the actual grow. It did not protect the finished product. It's literally in there that FDA has to approve it. So we still need FDA to approve it in order for us to grow bigger, in order for more CBD to be needed or other cannabinoids to be needed from farmers. We need FDA's approval to allow it into the food and dietary supplement space. See, and that's, an well, I'm not going to question that. We produced in 2019 eight times more high CBD cannabis than the market could take. Yes. Okay. So how does the FDA have anything to do with whether a poor farmer is going to be able to sell more product? So when FDA, so the, so I actually, so the U.S. Hemp Authority is a nonprofit and I'm a volunteer. My day job I uh, am in research and development for a hemp company. So I make products. When I am trying to find a manufacturer and I want a manufacturer who's GMP certified, I want a manufacturer who has SQF certifications, right? Like I want to make products in the cleanest spaces possible. Because FDA has not approved of this dietary ingredient, I am immediately not allowed in most of those locations. But that still doesn't have to do with the marketplace. But it does. Because as soon as the larger players are able to make these products, they will. When the larger manufacturers are making these products and making food, they need to buy their cannabinoids. Right now, the largest people who make food and make dietary supplements don't make hemp products because it's not a legal dietary ingredient. And this is what we're talking about. The people on the bottom, we don't want Coca-Cola in CBD. It will kill the small farmer. You do understand that, right? That when yeah. you have huge corporations, people like me will be forced to go away because we cannot do on the scale that these companies do. Right now, my survival has to has a lot to do with the fact that in my state, it's traded the same way as it would be THC and is controlled by that state. The moment this crop goes national, the same thing that happened to soybean growers and corn growers will happen to hemp growers. That's true, but I also think we will have to adapt and join. Like I think the soy growers have their own trade associations. I know that corn. But they're growers, dying right now. Yes, row croppers are dying right now. So why do we want to emulate a system where is the average farmer literally is going from year to year? Explain that to me. I can't. I am not a farmer. No, but that's what I'm saying is, but you're going to make decisions for us. What I'm trying to do is make sure the products that we sell are legal because right now they're not. Well, but the U.S. Hemp Roundtable, who is it representing? Companies or farmers? So I am U.S. Hemp Authority. Um, I don't, can't give you the answer to that. I know there are some farmers that were associated or are associated there, but you can see who their membership is because it's on their website. So it's a lot of companies. And that's the frustration of the people here at the bottom. 
we don't feel anybody speaking for us. We really oh, I don't. The Hemp Growers Association was around for a while. I don't know what happened to that. No, but that's what I'm saying is the people who funding it were people who were large companies. And once wow. it kind of, and so here, what I'm, this is the plea and it is, and, and maybe you need to, it might be a good idea that if you actually went out on a few farms and talked about people who are right now are in a very precarious moment, we have, have an overabundance of hemp, but nobody seeming to want to stem that at all. It seems like to a large degree, how are we gonna give out of eight times more material than we have, grow our way out of it? Wait, but don't you think you would have less overabundance if FDA had approved the use of cannabinoids in no. and dietary no. supplements? You don't think you no. could have pulled it? No. Why? When's the last time you went into a store and you couldn't find more CBD products in the law allow? Gas stations. We're in hardware stores. So right, we're, we're not in is the food chain. We're not we in, in Tennessee. So we're, we are in dietary supplements. We're not in food in a big way. 30% of our, our at Tennessee Homegrown is edibles. Yeah, edibles and food are two very different things. Well, but what So I'm, I'm talking about cannabinoids in milk, cannabinoids what, in but everyday what, food. Well, but what I'm saying is right edibles now- Edibles and teachers are supplements. No, no. Right now, I'm telling you, anything that D8 or CBD can be put in is being put in. And this is the part that gets me is, and, and it really is, it seems that the people on the bottom and actually people that are doing this seem to be a step ahead of the people at the top. And I'm talking about the USDA, the FDA, and other things. This is already going on. And this, the idea that some big company is going to come in and save us and there's going to be this new market. No, it's not. CBD market, as far as products and in the market, is saturated. That's why you have companies like, all right, Charlotte's Web. No, you're absolutely, Harold, you're absolutely correct. You are absolutely correct. It is saturated. It well, absolutely but, is. There is not even a question about that. But not having... FDA approval does not change that. Well, that's what that's what, what my whole point exactly is. Why are we chasing the FDA when they're irrelevant to the marketplace? Because they're not irrelevant for us. So in order for me to start making more products, different products, in order for my, for my company to innovate, we need to be allowed to put products and things that aren't chews, tinctures, or I don't know, we're not even supposed to be putting it in sparkling water, but I've seen that. Right? No, that's what I'm saying is. But I can't part. buy more cannabinoids from people until I can make different products. Why can't you? I can hook you up tomorrow. Because I can't put it in a different product without an FDA approval. Well, that's why. Right. So, but what I'm saying is the literally hundreds of millions of dollars that are being sold in edibles right now, what does the FDA have to do with that? Right now, the FDA has not come out completely against all CBD Right. So far, there have been two warning letters, one to Irwin Naturals and one to Charlotte's Web, where they denied their new dietary ingredient application, which actually means that the only two groups that aren't allowed to be selling dietary supplements are now Irwin Naturals and Charlotte's Web, which is interesting because they're the two largest on the market. But what we're waiting for is because FDA has not made an actual decision, right? We're living in this gray area. I'm allowed to sell hemp products across 
generally let's go with 50 states, although that's, you know, yes or no, sometimes depending on what the state rule <laughs> is that day. Yep. But until FDA, if FDA came out and said CBD can no longer be sold in dietary supplements, I would have to pull them off the market unless I was only selling in the state of Texas where I live because it's legal here in the state of Texas. But as a company, we're not going to make money only selling products in one state. There's no reason for us to sustain well, that, that. See, now that's something I do. Recreational cannabis companies make money and they're only in one state. That's true, but they also pay a ton of taxes. Well, I don't but, know how much money they actually make but, after they pay off their taxes and everything else that they owe. That's why they're angry about Delta 8. All right. Do you think, uh, question, do you think there is a hemp organization right now that represents what actually is going on? And I'm talking about small farmers, ver vertical operations, because as you know, only the top 20 companies in CBD only represents 17% of the companies. Do I think there's one trade organization covering that? Absolutely not. So, but that's what I'm saying is. But there is no one trade organization no, but, say, anywhere that covers everyone. It's why you have food organizations. It's why you have grocers organizations. It's why you have retailer organizations. You're but, not going to find one hemp trade association that's covering everyone. But, but you do understand how the people here at the bottom, we feel like rescue dogs. Well, that's unfortunate. So, no, but okay, but. We, we've been asked to pay money into different organizations to support that. And then when it comes down to it, the answer seems to be is that you got to go big box stores. Well, so there's yes. a good reason to like the U.S. Hemp Authority because we don't have a membership. You can't belong. You either well, are certified or you're not. And what you'll notice about our certification is that what we try to do is protect the farmers. So we don't allow certifications of products that have... Um, synthetic cannabinoids in them or biosynthetic. So you can't make, let's say, CBD out of orange peels and say you have a CBD product. That will not be sold as a U.S. Hemp Authority certified product. Okay. We also aren't allowing for um, GMO in our hemp. I'm not sure if anyone's actually using GMO hemp. <laughs> that, was, that was a request during our public comment period. I got 2,500 requests for the same really? thing. Yes. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so, so that was, so I supposedly, think that was Dr. Bronner opening up a tweet request of his consumers. Oh gosh. But that we had yeah. so many, so much public interest on that specifically, we took it into consideration and it was put into our certification because we want this to be for people using hemp products and written by people in the hemp industry. We do have farmers on our technical committee. We have um, a farmer specific spot on our board. And that's why, but we don't have members. So we wouldn't be part of the questions you're asking about whether or not okay. there's one association that has everyone included. Okay. okay. Does it ever drive you up the wall, all the misinformation in our industry? Yes, but <laughs> that's just driving me up the wall in the United States lately anyway. So it's not just well, our industry, it's like I, the whole it's the whole area. But it's, I never, go ahead, Step. I wholeheartedly agree with uh, Marielle on all of that both our industry and the uh, country on its own. We're doing a smash up job right now. <laughs> um, I had a quick question. Hopefully this doesn't derail the conversation. Do beverages fall under the work that you're doing? Beverages in the United States fall under food. And so we do certify beverages. So we actually, I believe it was, um, we just had a new beverage certified, uh, Queen City Hemp. 
was just certified under the U.S. Hemp Authority certification for their sparkling waters. And alcohol too? So we haven't had anyone come to us. I don't see why we wouldn't, as long as that group already had all the proper alcohol certifications that they would have to have in order to be legal in whichever states they are working in. So we want to make sure that people are legal in their own industry. And then if they are adding in a hemp ingredient, we want to make sure that they are doing so in a safe, non-hazardous manner, right? So most people don't realize that when you plant hemp, you're going to pull up whatever's in the ground, right? They think it's a weed and you can plant it anywhere and it'll grow. (laughs) Um, And I, right. I mean, it will, you have ditch weed and whatnot, but you will pull up heavy metals and, 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 and pesticides. So we want to make sure that when people are making finished products that they have tested for those and that we're not putting ingredients or products out there with ingredients that are unsafe. Maybe you could answer a question since you do do this. Why are full panel tests so damn expensive? So that's an excellent question. And it's, because, <laughs> it's because instruments are expensive, people are expensive, and all the certifications and the hoopla that the labs have to go through are also expensive. It's, but it is. I can get my my little cannabinoid test and terpene <laughs> test like seventy five bucks, but we're paying pretty good, <laughs> clo- close to almost five hundred dollars for every full panel test we do. Yeah, that's true. Well, but this is the, the part- Mine's actually twice in. that, I think, because I do residual solvents as well. And then even though no one's seen any mycotoxin issues, I have to test mycotoxins too. Golly gosh, you want to talk about a hurdle with small farmers? Yep. It, it's like, because here we do. All right, even though we're not certified by anybody, we're a small organic, Tennessee homegrown, small organic, soil's never been done. And we do, we spend- a crazy amount of money on lab tests. And um, it's, it, I don't know if it'll make you feel any better, but so do the rest of like everyone else that has a food or dietary supplement product in the market. Yeah. So, well, but I mean, because it, you guys used to only do, when I used to buy it, all I cared about originally was the percent of CBD, right? Because the per point. Yeah, well, not anymore. <laughs> but then I realized quickly that if I bought hemp that was a high in heavy metals and I wasn't making a CBD isolate, I couldn't make that go away. So then I had to start asking for heavy metal levels. So That's kind of where it came yeah. from. Because it all just transfers into the finished product. Well, something dawned on me and it's been kind of going, maybe, and this is going to sound harsh to my fellow small hemp farmers, maybe its time is gone. Maybe it is no longer viable for that. What used to be during 2014 to 2019, maybe that that is gone. And I hope that's not true, but I also think that people, I think we need to basically, and I don't know if I can curse on your show, but we need to haul ass, right? We need to haul ass on the fiber side, right? There is so much, like, I think originally in Tennessee, everyone was growing for fiber, not cannabinoid. Well, that was what what I think you guys sold your, your, um, well, that's what the legislature's on. Yeah, but every, (laughs) nobody, I mean, all right, I'll get it. (laughs) I did for two years. Okay, see? I grew. I'm <laughs> <laughs> pretty sure it was everybody. <laughs> yeah, but it was like real quick because this was what happened to us, right? Yeah. We grew 60 acres of the prettiest hemp fiber crop you ever do. And we were promised that there was going to be a decortification plant coming. Yeah, and there wasn't. Yep. And so we got stuck with this and, and that was the thing, you know? And it's, and it's still... 
when it comes to it, yes, we can haul ass to fiber, but this is one of the things that, you know, all of a sudden now you're in it's CBD and it really was that whole little world from 2014 to 2019 on CBD was a rarefied atmosphere that will never happen again because for quite frankly, if you were in a state, you had a state monopoly. If whatever you could produce, you could sell in that state. And for a short period of time, it was a monopoly. But once that CBD or hemp-derived cannabinoids became an interstate commodity, that's when it all fell out. And so the, my analogy here is, is that when we embrace wholeheartedly fiber, which I believe there's a future, we're going to have to compete with China. That is true. And that's the one thing we about do that. We have to do that now with almost everything we make in this. Country. I know. But the thing is, and this is one of my pet peeves, uh, like for the last two and a half, three years, every bit of clothing except for shoes have been hemp. I go to these places where I go and speak and I get asked to speak and I ask people in the audience, how much hemp clothing you got? And these are people who are farming hemp huh. and it's relatively little. Yeah, no, I only have a couple of t-shirts. So. Okay, what, okay. <laughs> okay, but still though, that a lot of that's reflected by retail market. Right, it's so not, like, it, I think it, it's, I think one of my shirts is from REI and it's a percentage half and not, right? Yeah. So it's just what is out there and fashionable and being sold. So yeah, and and you don't see it pushed by the gap. You don't see it, you don't even see it pushed on Amazon. So it's still a hunt and collect kind of item that people have to go out and really look for if they're interested and get it. The hemp clothing I have I found by accident and I love it, but it was completely accident. One of my friends found um, hemp sheets. And she knows that I sleep super hot. And she was like, you have to get these, right? But this is something I learned a couple of days ago at the Southern Hemp Expo. Do they work? So I haven't bought them yet. I haven't gotten them yet. They haven't arrived yet. But she uses them and swears by them. Wow. Well, this, I, this, sleep hot, I sleep hot too. That'd be great. I came out of Kentucky. Oh, where I'm from. <laughs> I, I bet I know who, the, who did it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now, well, this, this is, but this is where I'm going on this, and it is, it, uh, how do we get the marketing? Because this all boils down to, is if people come in and they start buying this product, and you, and we're all believers, because believe me, I'm not buying hemp clothing the last couple, two or three years, because I'm doing it to raise my fist. I'm doing it because once I start buying this stuff, it was like, oh, this is nice. It is. I mean, I'm sorry, jeans, shorts, shirts. You know, I even got a few pairs, three pairs of hemp shoes. They're just the, some of the most comfortable, durable things. And the more you wear it, the more it's like, like an old sweater in, in a, all the right ways. Until we can get people to start doing that. And that, that seems to be the whole hitch here. So yes, we know where hemp ought to go. We know that hemp can profoundly change the world, but how do we get people to come along? Well, we also need to show them why it's worth it, right? You can't just be more expensive. You're going to have to be competitive if you want to get into the everyday market of people who aren't, you know, out there trying to change the world. The good news is, I mean, it's terrible because it's climate change, but the good news is, is more and more and more people are talking about sustainability. More and more people are talking about carbon capture. 
More people are talking about things they have never talked about before. And a lot of that can be brought down into hemp products. We all know we can capture carbon. Well, yeah. Uh, so but we need a good way to do it and a good way to calculate it and a great tax benefit for people to do it. I'm going to throw this out here and I'd love to get your idea of it. Maybe the best thing it could ever be to hemp is, is that it totally divorces cannabinoids. So I will not disagree with you there. Yeah, I've been thinking this for a while. To me, from somebody who used to grow recreational cannabis and now grows high CBD cannabis, and damned, I'm serious. I can't tell the difference. I mean, the first year that we grew the really high CBD varieties, which is basically reworked marijuana, and we went out and looked at this, and it was just like, I don't know if this is all hot. I mean, seriously, we thought, oh, my God, the whole crop's going to be hot. And it wasn't. And it was just like, oh, my gosh. So there was this whole new world. But the thing about it is we were no longer hemp farmers. We were people growing cannabis for cannabinoids. Right. And I think where the states really messed up, Illinois did not, the rest of the states did, is they didn't allow cannabinoids from hemp to be sold into the adult use market. Thank you. Where Thank Indiana you. or <laughs> Illinois was right on that. Like any yes. extra CBD, whatever it is, you know, take it. And, and here's my issue. And I know I shouldn't be throwing myself on you in the Delta 8 um, discussion. But oh my, my issue. Go for with, it. <laughs> my issue with this is the fact that if you guys, if the farmers had been allowed to sell to the, if hemp farmers with hemp licenses, were able to sell leftover CBD to the adult use market. And the adult use market chose to take CBD and turn it into Delta 8 and sell it under their licenses with proper warnings. We would have no issues with that. All right, but what about us people in Tennessee? We're, we don't have rec, we don't have med. Correct. And so the fact that, this but, is why I think some of the adult use people are getting angry at the hemp industry, is because well, no, but, they're finding but, a way to create an intoxicating product or known to be, even though less intoxicating, still intoxicating, but none of us have the taxes that the high and adult use cannabis. No, but what I'm saying is if you're in Tennessee, the only game in town, if you want THC is D8. Right. So your solution is to deprive the people of Tennessee D8? No, my solution is to have federal, like, federal acceptance of cannabis, all sorts. Well, all right, but but in the interim, but in the case, yeah, I can't get I can't get high THC cannabis in Texas either. We don't have well, Delta Nine. You got Delta Eight out the wazoo. We do now. It was almost shut down in this last. But what event, I'm saying is, or this last ruling, and I wouldn't think that it wouldn't be thrown out in the next. Do session. you any have any idea how large the D8 industry is in Texas? Do I? No. Yes. I do not know how large it is. It's literally so hard for hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. I am sure it is. The problem is, though, is we are is that hemp in the form of dietary supplements or food is still not legal. And well, but, in order but, for our industry to survive, if the hemp industry is going to survive it, uh, in the let's say if the cannabinoid industry is going to survive, we need approval in FD, at FDA levels. And no. by having DA, yes. Is no, we don't. It? Yes, we do, unless we all want to sell in our own states. Which hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I sell D. I sell D eight in a bunch of states. Yes, but you are only doing that through a loophole, Harold. I well, hold it. <laughs> the whole thing. Oh, the only reason why. But hold it. 
it's an artificial, the whole, and this part gets me is because we found a loophole in an unfair, unjust system that was not based on science, we should get shut down? No, so I think that there is absolutely a path for selling D8, but I don't think calling it hemp and selling D8 is that path. We don't call it hemp. We call, we call it, it Delta 8, but you do, but your license to grow is under hemp, right? Right. Then it's, you're calling it hemp. Well, but we know what, no. Yes. We don't. No. Uh -uh. We never refer to it. You go on our website, we do not refer to ourselves. We are a cannabis company, flat out, straight up. Okay, then you guys are like the only ones that are doing this properly. Let me ask you a question. On your Delta mm -hmm. 8 products, do you have warnings? May make someone drowsy. Oh, heck yeah. <laughs> These are big, big things. This is a THC product. Okay. There is a warning. It uh, it, uh, Does it say not for sale to anyone under 18 or 21? I'm, it might. And there's also an FDA warning on there that it's not the little thing on there. And, and we, but the thing about it is, it's, and this is the thing that you know, and you know this. You can have the FDA and still have all your accreditations and turn out crappy, bad products. You, that is true, except for the fact that if you are properly listed with FDA, you're also going to get audited by the FDA. You're and on a list that literally, when you sign up and you put your manufacturing plant on their list or you put your distribution that plant audit on their is list, a joke. you get audited. That audit is a joke. It is a one-day tour. It is a three-day tour. On, and after, in the 362 days, they can do what they want. And this is the thing about it is, and I still don't get this, why we put all this faith in, a, in an organization that when you watch TV, every hour you see products where they're, that were FDA approved, that now you can sue a company at the wazoo. And that's true. But at the same time, they're also afraid to approve any new products without enough information because of crappier products before us. That, hold it, this gets me, is this whole thing like the FDA can't make a decision on one of the most studied plants on the face of the earth? I think the FDA is probably facing what's called analysis paralysis and they're just scared to move, which is why we want Congress to move them. But, but to, what I'm saying is, I still hear politicians to this day says that we need to study this. I don't think you can name a drug that has been studied more than THC. So they're not just saying they need studies. They want very specifically run clinical studies looking at very specific targets. They want FDA clinical pharmaceutical oh, studies. That's they don't want anecdotes from 5,000 years ago. No, 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 no. There is an antidote. Are you familiar with the research being done in Israel? Yes, I do. Absolutely. Okay. So you're going to tell me that all the research has been done by Raphael Meshelam for the last three decades isn't valid? No, I'm saying that according to FDA, it's not valid. That's what FDA I'm talking is, about. Hey, hey, Harold, the FDA has never, this is not different for any other industry. Okay. No, no, but they have, is, there are approved drugs that are sold in the EU that are not allowed to be sold here. The FDA didn't approve them based on where the clinical studies were done. That My is not is our though, industry specific. This is not no, them after CBD, although I do think they're a little after CBD, but in this case, it's because the clinical studies were not done in the manner that FDA wants them to be done in. And that includes being completed in the US. See, this is my frustration. 
I get it. I'm totally no, frustrated no, with them also. No, but no, I still but have you're, to understand their rules. No, no, but see what your the whole point is, and this is my whole whole premise about all this is that we're trying to base a salvation and a, and a direction on a partner that cannot be trusted. And that's my point. The FDA is never going to do what it should have done decades ago. The FDA is has is not going to let go of this. And, and the whole point that we keep saying that if the FDA comes in and we kiss their ring, that then they'll go and it's, I just don't. Too, it's too late for that. But at the same time, we don't have a food or dietary industry for cannabinoids. But we without have the FDA, unless Congress removes that tiny little section from the farm bill. Thing that gets me is why does this have to be different than alcohol? Alcohol, every state controls their alcohol. Who gets it, who gets a license, where it can be sold. Right. Okay. They have a huge you can't, thing. do you cross state lines with alcohol? You have to do it. When you go into a state and you cross mm -hmm. into that, you have to do it under that state law. So you have to have licenses in multiple states. Let's you, say I'm Bacardi. You have, that's why there has to be a distributor. Right. So Texas has got, we've got this three-level distributor thing going right, on. Right. That's what I'm saying. about all the time. Okay. But that's my point. <laughs> Alcohol is one of the largest industries in the world and in the United States. Yet we're saying that we have to have a centralized way and that what's going on right now is not acceptable. And my point to you is, here is a billion, a couple billion dollar industry, and why not just let us go? So, but Harold, they're run by the ATF. So we're now choosing between FDA and ATF? No, what I'm saying ah. is, is that whole point though is, is that why, when we have an industry that is growing as fast as it is, and it is, why do we need to have centralized authority over it? Well, we would still have centralized authority on it uh, uh, over it if we went the way the alcohol groups did. It would just be the ATF that's over it. Well, Even what though I'm it saying is, is eight run, you would still have that overarching. How, how large is how large is the rec industry? I don't know that answer. It's huge. It's huge. The tax revenues alone in California were a hundred million dollars. That's cool. Okay. Okay. So here's an industry that's not controlled nationally. It's growing, it's expanding. And you don't see those people saying, oh, come on, FDA, come save us. No, but they are having their own issues with the state of California. No, but what I'm saying is, and that's great. And the solutions that come should be tailored to California, not Tennessee. Well, so we've been doing this though, because we don't have FDA, right? We don't, right. we've been doing state to state to state to state. So now when I sell a product, I have to make sure that my label follows all the different regulations from all the different states. I don't have enough room on my label for that. I just well, don't. I'm then I have to guess. Whereas well, but, if I were just but, able to follow FDA regulations for a supplement, I wouldn't need half the crap that's on there. Well, what I'm saying is, but okay. That's a state to state to state. We're doing state to state. But to state. Where are, where, state to state on CBD and D8 is going on on a massive scale. Right. But the problem with D8 is that it is intoxicating. And we literally sold That's not Congress. a problem. That's the Carol. good part of it. Carol, That's... yes, but that we sold Congress on the fact that hemp was not intoxicating. That's that was why bullshit. That was bullshit. That whole premise that it wasn't intoxicating was bullshit. Well, how do you think you got it approved at the at the, at the congressional level? 
people went up there and lied through their teeth. Well, so CBD is non-intoxicating. And in it order is, to get DA... Whoa, 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 whoa. I will fight you on that. Have you ever done large doses of CBD? No, because I look at them as dietary supplements and I follow okay. that. Guarantee you do 200 milligrams of CBD, you're going to be buzzed. Okay. So and that's another thing that CBD doesn't get you high. That's not true. You would have to drink like an entire bottle of a tincture for that. No. Oh, oh. So? Well, I can't control what people are going to do based on- No, but on that's what I'm saying is the premise, the premise but, though, is flawed. And that's what I'm trying to tell you is this whole little hemp charade was based upon this is a benign plant and this doesn't get you high because getting high is horrible and you don't have to worry about that. You no, know, getting high is not horrible. We just wanted FDA approval. And if it gets you high, FDA is never going to approve it. And that's what I'm saying. It's never going to work for us because we do get people high. CBD gets you high. Full spectrum CBD gets you high. If you take enough of it, sure. Yes. So the whole premise is doesn't get you high is faulty. Except what we're not doing is we're not taking, let's say, CBD, which if taken according to dietary supplement regs, and if you follow a label, theoretically, will not get you high. And adding acids and residual solvents to it to then force its transformation to something that would get you high and then selling it without having licenses to do so. Like you so, guys are being smart about how you're selling it and how you have it labeled. But what happens to the person who mix it up in their bathtub, sells it to some 16 year old kid in Texas who drives a car now, they get in a wreck and they kill someone. What happens to our industry? It's gonna survive. Cause that's the thing it gets me is, it, it, we all have this thing where we go around scared. This is, it's not 2002. We're not scared. We're trying to get over no, the but hold it. When, 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 No, no, no. <laughs> but listen to me. When 69% of the evangelical Christians in Tennessee believe in medical marijuana and 55% of evangelical Christians believe that there should be recreational cannabis, this whole thing that one bad thing happens and then we're going to have what a, a scare on cannabis no it's only this all this all occurs for fda purposes right and that's so what if i'm you, saying there is, is that much support no, in tennessee no then i'm just get high get adult use passed in tennessee no why we got da because you're not going to have da for long have you seen what the other states are doing only the rec states have you noticed who's who's made D8 legal, illegal? Recreational states, and they've done it for only one reason. It wasn't public health. It was revenue. It's because it acts in the same way, but they're not getting paid their taxes. Right. So you look at who- But that's how we also piss off the cannabis industry because it works against us. I think it all ought to be lumped together. Well, it ought to be, but it's not. And that's Well, the but what I'm saying is, what direction do we want to go in? I don't have an answer for you. I would like to be able to keep our products under dietary supplements and not pay for licensing in high THC situations. And, and that's where it just, to me, that makes no sense. It really does. It's all the same plant. And also this is, and yeah, I'm not sh sure how much you're into where the market's going as far as what consumer demand is. One of the things that we have found is that people like having uh, basically a cannabinoid cocktail. They like having a little bit of CBD in there. They like having a little D8 in there and they like having a little D9 in there. And for our customers, the things that are telling us is that D9 is too rough. They don't like it. When they do it as an edible, they never know when they're going to get anxious. But 
you add a bunch of CBD or DA to it, and it's a whole different thing. And so that's where the market's going. It's what people want. And in the present day, my observation, the consumer, once again, is way out ahead of, of administration and bureaucracy. I mean, they've been selling one-to-ones and one-to-fives and one-to-tens in, in cannabis dispensaries forever. Right. And that's what I'm telling you. So if you have a drug, uh, a, an edible is 50% CBD and it's 50% THC, what is it? Fun. And that's, that's what I'm saying. Is, but the fact that it has D9 in it makes it an adult use product if it's over that 0.3% by dry weight. Well, any cannabinoids except under parental or physicians should be 18 and over. That's just a no-brainer. It's, it's a drug. Okay. But, <laughs> a, and should be sold behind the counter of a dispensary. And that's where I think. Oh, God, why? What do you mean, why? What, yeah, beer is it? Harold, you brought up the alcohol industry. Can you ever buy alcohol without showing an ID? No, we didn't talk about that, but it didn't have to be on a counter. It can be in a cooler. Okay, fine. <laughs> anyway, okay. I, this, I, we are, oh God, you are awesome. You know that, don't you? Yeah, we you sound surprised, but I'm okay. <laughs> no, no, no. The thing about it is, is that we had really genuine discussions about where the market is and where the industry is. And I think discussions like this are too few and far between. And I can't thank you enough for coming on here. Oh, absolutely. I missed the days of like, what was it? What were they? Lincoln Douglas debates where everyone got to yeah. say what they wanted and what they thought. And then you went and you got drinks after, right? Yeah, that's what, because guess what? Whether, and this is one thing I, about people in here. It's like, they do this little click thing. We're yeah. all in this together. Yeah. <laughs> we're a wedded at the hip. And so the thing it gets me is, is that we have, I guess it's, Social media might have something to do with it, but mm -hmm. there's no way to have an exchange. One of the things though we do think, cause we're gonna try to wind this, start winding this thing up because uh, uh, real quick, you went to Southern Hemp Expo. Yeah. Well, we didn't get to go. That's cause it's uh, harvest season. <laughs> well, and also it was economics. We okay. couldn't justify doing a booth, spending the money. And it's because right now that one thing about the cannabis industry maturing is it we're having to run a cannabis businesses like a business and, and which is part of the growing pains in our industry which we can go into next time so it was a business decision so southern hemp expo what were your thoughts and observations there were more people than i thought there would be just based on everything going on and the traveling in the state of the mm -hmm. industry um, I thought there were some really excellent speakers. I feel like the expo was maybe slightly smaller than it had been, but there were some really interesting products. And then I was also annoyed at some of the products being sold there because literally on a piece of cardboard, someone had added that they were selling HCH, which at the time I didn't really know what it was. Like I've been on the lookout for D8 and THCO, and this one was brand new to me, but it concerned me. Great it was an it, oh oh we got to talk about this. So they were selling analogs. Yeah, so they were selling what was just like ask me about my HCH. All right, okay. I know about O and I know about P. What's HCH? So I am still trying to figure out what HCH is. It's a, it's a hydroxy. Yeah. So 
down and see this. It has, it's either hydroxy or it's a hexa. And what? so. Oh. See, now this is where me and you are on the same taxi ride. Okay. It scares the hell out of me. There's one thing, making D8, if you have any sort of organic chemistry and you use the right ingredients and double distill and do the things you can do, it's fairly And easy. then test it. Yeah, and then, yeah, like numerous yeah. times. You can be consistent and you kind of know because it, it is a cannabinoid that exists in nature. This Whoa. new analogs, it has nothing to do with nature. You don't and know how it's going to react in the body. You don't know what it's going to do in the body. Also, you got people who don't have this. There's doing the P and the O is another shift up in your ability as a chemist. It really is because you're using different, different dogs in this hunt. So you get these people who are basically doing it like bathtub meth, and you're going to get some really bad products. And here's, so now we're back at 2017 when the Hemp Authority was born, because at this point we were just worried there was going to be bathtub hemp products with high residual solvents and high levels of pesticides and high level of heavy metals that were going to kill somebody. So now let's say that in Tennessee and Texas, D8 is great, right? It's totally legal. People are allowed to sell it regardless of its intoxicating effects. Someone comes in and starts selling this HCH stuff. And they're calling it an isomer and they're saying because it's represented in the farm bill just it's like it's not an did. isomer it's, huh? an it's an analog okay so if it's an analog but what does the farm bill say well that's where i can tell you what my lawyer told me okay analogs aren't covered when we start going into analogs you are totally off off the page you're it's not covered that it does not cover it. you are totally in uh, right illegal. and there are some people that look at d8 as an analog well the, the only bad theoretically <laughs> this is the thing about it and we do know this if you want to take ten thousand pounds of high cbd cannabis you could probably end up with a kilo of d8 if you wanted to go through and go through chromatography and pull it out so theoretically right, it's going to be possible. in there at a thousand times less than the d9 that's what I'm saying is you want to do a thousand kilos, you can get mm -hmm. it. So theoretically exist in nature. So I can slide on that. But theoretically, I'm yes. But if it's not commercially viable, we're just, you sell that one tincture for $500,000. You go ahead. No, but I'm just saying we're just nudging what the chemistry in the plant does. Because we know now what the plant does. I'll let you get away with that on this because it's your show. Keep going. Okay. I think. But when you start doing the analogs and you start actually making molecules that don't exist in nature, you don't are not covered by the hemp bill. Okay, I'm glad we agree on that. That's straight up. You're not. I, like I said we we verbally sparred, but we have way more stuff in common than we have in disagreement. Right, and you're not breaking any of your state rules, right? So what nope. what concerns me though is that because you're not breaking any state rules, and that's fine. What happens when FDA says hemp's legal? Okay. As long as X, Y, and Z doesn't happen, what happens to you? Do you oh. switch over to, to keep selling D8? Because now it's federally illegal. What are you going to do? The only thing that matters in my world is state law. And do you think the state law is going to change when the, when the FDA changes? No. Really? I can tell you why. Okay. It's called money. <laughs> Tennessee is, you know, do you have any idea how big camp was in Tennessee. But, but, but here, yeah, you'll be able to sell it in Tennessee. 
But as soon as you cross state lines with it, the feds are going to come get you. No, they're not. Well, if they want to, they will. Well, that's the thing about it is that this is all based upon the boogie bear is going to get you. The, and, and, and it is. Trust me on this one. There is too much money. And this is also the thing about it is when you go and do these things, there has to be some support in the public. And right now, there is no support in the public to do any crackdown of any cannabinoid. In fact, in our state, it's just the opposite. Our legislatures are under a huge amount of, of pressure to do med and rec. Good. Anyway, do you have anything you want to plug? Um, no, other than the fact that uh, anyone who's interested in learning about the U.S. Hemp Authority certification, our website is ushempauthority.org. Um, and on there, you'll be able to see our standard, uh, who's on our technical committee, all of our technical committee minutes, and anyone who is certified. If somebody wants to get a hold of you? Uh, it is Marielle at ushempauthority.org or info at ushempauthority.org if you want information about the certification. I have a favor to ask. Sure. Could you come back on in a future day? Absolutely. This was really fun, Harold. It was. <laughs> I was a little worried with your LinkedIn message of it's full contact. This was really fun. <laughs> Steph, you got anything to say before we wind this bad boy up? No, I, I it was fascinating to me too. And I think the early part of the discussion, the big difference was determining the different products that are going to end up in the market in the future, which I think will always be a challenge, whether it's an edible, whether it's a dietary supplement, whether it can go into actual food products. And I think that's on the horizon for all of us in the States at some point, may not be in the next 10 years, but it's a fascinating market that I think will affect everyone, hopefully in a positive way. All right. Well, I'm going to wrap this up, folks. We had Dr. Marielle Weintraub, president of the U.S. Hemp Authority, or Roundtable, or Authority? Hemp Authority. The Roundtable Authority. is a political organization right. um, that has memberships. We All have right. a certification program that you have to pass. And I'm with Mark Stepp, Uppercut Media, and I am Harold Jarbo, a.k.a. the Old Hemp Farmer, and you are listening to, or have listened to, the Tennessee Homegrown-sponsored Full Contact Cannabis. And thank you, folks. And as always, keep one eye on the weather and the other eye on the market. Thanks, Mario. Sure, absolutely. Full Contact Cannabis is a Tennessee Homegrown and Uppercut Media production. You can find Tennessee Homegrown on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Visit our website, tnhomegrown.com, for more background and information covered in our podcast. Full Contact Cannabis is created by Jarbo, the old hemp farmer. Post-production services provided by Uppercut Media and can be reached at uppercutmedia.com.